Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's food and drink program. I am Marcus Hippi. This week we find out how Romania has recently become a single malt whiskey producing nation. You need good barley, you need good water, you need skilled people. You put them all together and you have a consistently good product. So these are the key elements that make Carpathia what it is. Then we are in Miami, where one food business has become a huge hit among the city's large Cuban population. We were going to focus on the most popular and most authentic Cuban sandwiches served within our culture, which is the Cuban sandwich, the croqueta preparada, the medianoche, the pan con miste, the pan con lechon in the Miami. All that, the week's headlines and a dinner soundtrack recommendation too, ahead in this episode of The Menu. Regular listeners of this program may remember that we recently visited the Eats Corn Food Festival in Los Angeles. One of the most popular vendors at that event was Sandwich de Miami, which is becoming a community institution for its home city's large Cuban population. The business was created by a husband and wife team whose families migrated to America, so keeping cultural traditions alive is a big part of their culinary mission. Monaco's Frederick Berners dropped by the cafe in Miami to find out more. In the back kitchen of Sandwich de Miami, a bit of downtime after the lunch rush has given Daniel Figueredo a moment to catch up on some essential maintenance. I designed every square inch of this location. I built it with my own bare hands. I'm really the designer, architect, engineer, and the chief dishwasher of sandwich. <laughs> no. He's fixing a leak in the brining machine, which is used to prepare hams a key step in the artisanal process that Daniel is passionate about. It all started with crafting lavish sandwiches for his friends at weekly gatherings, but they were open and more typically French in style. Encouraged by the group, Daniel developed a little business plan with the idea of stepping back from his hectic life as a jet-setting architect and fashion designer. And then his wife, Rosa Romero, came along. We had trademarks already completed, certain contacts already in place, distribution, and I felt that there was viability, but it was a, a way for me to just have a good mental exercise while I was traveling, because I used to travel quite a bit. Well, lo and behold, I meet Rosa, and I'm not doing anything, and I said, listen, I, I, either I got to get back into what I was doing before, or maybe we should revisit this, and she saw the business plan, she goes, wow, this is something that we could really do, but maybe you should consider Cuban sandwiches, and there goes the story. They set about putting together a menu with just six main choices, as well as sides and a couple of vegetarian options, as Rosa explains. We knew with our sandwiches that there was a very specific tight list that we wanted, and we were going to focus on the most popular and most authentic Cuban sandwiches served within our culture, which is the Cuban sandwich, the croqueta preparada, the medianoche, the pan con miste, the pan con lechon, and the Miami. 
most places you'll have the rice and the beans and the tostones, a couple of pastas in there. You'll have uh, frita, which is very traditional, croquetas and tamal. And then somewhere on that menu, you will have a sandwich section. But you've got dozens of other items to choose from. Here at Sandwich, it was important that it's the only thing we serve. If you want rice and beans, that'd be great, but this is not the place to come get it. Before opening the cafe, Rosa and Daniel hit the road with pop-up stalls at a handful of festivals to test their recipes. The tailored menu and bespoke approach of preparing every single ingredient in-house, even the mustard, went down extremely well. A clear gap in the market was there. The couple's next step was to set up a shipping container production hub. They finally took the plunge and built their brick-and-mortar store in summer 2018, with the help of loans from friends and relatives. It was a real gamble, as both left stable careers behind. Rosa worked as a paralegal, specializing in medical malpractice. Running the cafe seems like a different universe, but she certainly has a way with words, especially when it comes to describing food. The Cuban sandwich is by far the most popular, and then the runner-up would be our steak sandwich. I would say it's the only item on our menu that isn't extremely traditional. So traditionally you have a palomilla steak, thicker than how we do it. We shave it. It's essentially like a roast beef. So it's a top round. It gets sous vide for three and a half hours to 130 degrees. It gets cooled and then it gets rolled in salt and pepper. We roast it on 500 for 12 minutes where it gets a really nice salt and pepper crust on the outside and then we slice it really thin like a roast beef. And so we pair that up with our red roasted pepper sauce that we make in-house. So it's red bell peppers, tomatoes, onions, garlic. On a dry rub, we roast that for an hour and then emulsify it in oil. It is to die for. A Cuban sandwich is known for containing multiple layers, tightly squashed together by a heated press. A bit like a panini, but warm all the way through. Another of Rosa's favorite creations is a delicious smoothie based on a classic sugary delight. Timba is a dessert, a Cuban dessert, that comes with a cookie, a white cheese or cream cheese uh, with a guava paste on top. And you'll essentially have it as your dessert or as a merienda, meaning like a little snack in the afternoon. And it gives you a little bit of that salty sweetness. And so here we turned it into a milkshake, which we call a batido. Typically it's not a milkshake. We just put it all into a blender and created this. And it's one of our top sellers. The cafe sits on the historic Calle Ocho in Little Havana a hub for the Cuban community. It's become the first port of call for many people who leave the island looking for work. For Rosa and Daniel, both born in Miami, it's a meaningful way to stay connected, and they love the instant gratification of serving customers. Daniel believes it's vital to fly the flag against a rising trend of cultural homogeneity. What I believe we've done is carry on a tradition that has slowly eroded in our culture because there's too much synchronization. You know, there's some incredible restaurants here in Miami. They challenge your palate, but they don't necessarily connect you to anything. It's just that's incredible food by an incredible chef. Here, we've extracted that idea of it being a chef-driven concept, and it's a concept 
that is driven by traditions. I make my ham. We make our pork. We make our bread. We make our mustard. And we do it in a fashion that we're not driven by the need of money. My expectation has been deliver a really good product that's as close to a traditional method of producing it as possible and taking you to a place that you've never been to before. Hello, welcome to Sangwe. How are you doing? Who are you? The cafe churns out hundreds of sandwiches every day. It's become so popular that ambitious expansion plans are afoot. By the end of 2022, three new sites will open in strategic spots around town, along with a huge central production facility for meat and condiment processing. The number of employees will rise from 20 to nearly 100. With such a deep belief in the art of truly delectable sandwiches, I wouldn't bet against Rosa and Daniel branching out even further to other cities around Florida and beyond. For Monocle, in Miami, I'm Frederick Bernus. And you are with The Menu. Up next, the week's food and drink headlines. Here is Monocle's Lillian Fawcett. A record-breaking heat wave is threatening olive oil production in Spain, the world's largest producer. Agriculture Minister Luis Planas warned this week that high temperatures and a lack of rain may cause a lower olive harvest for the year. Refined olive oil prices in the south of the country rose by over 8% in June compared with 2021. Heineken has warned that beer prices will continue to rise over the next year as it plans to pass inflated labour and production costs onto consumers. The Dutch brewer reported better-than-predicted profits for the first six months of the year, despite raising its drinks prices by almost 9%. It said sales are now higher than before the pandemic. The annual exhibition of global gourmet food, the Hong Kong Food Expo, will go ahead next week, but visitors will be banned from tasting any of the food or drink on offer, including its signature one Hong Kong dollar chicken pot. Nearly 1,000 exhibitors will attend, and the five-day event usually attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors. The tasting ban was first introduced in 2021 to combat the spread of coronavirus. And the London cocktail bar Lioness has been named the best in the world at the 16th Annual Spirited Awards. The ceremony in New Orleans celebrated the top international drinks establishments, professionals and products. Japanese bartender Masahiro Urashido was awarded for his 2021 book The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, while Sydney's Maybe Sammy won the best international bar team. Thanks Lillian. You are listening to The Menu. Now, you wouldn't necessarily put Romania on the map of whiskey producers, but that's where it belongs now after the country's largest spirits and wine producer, Alexandrian Krupp, recently introduced the nation's first single malt whiskey, Carpathian. The whiskey was a brainchild of Alexandrian Krupp's founder and chairman, Nawaf Salame. Naturally, Nawaf did need some help from people with long experience in whiskey, and the man to assist was master distiller Alan Anderson, who relocated from Scotland to Romania for this project. 
To find out more about the story, I was joined in the studio by Alan, Carpathian Whiskey's global brand ambassador, Colin Levering, and the founder himself, Nawaf Salame, who started by explaining how the idea to create Romania's first own single malt whiskey was born. It's great, great dream to see uh, after 20 years working and the idea started 1999 when I meet my best friend, he passed away, Max. I asked him, how can I enjoy this category of uh, the drinks? He told me, look after the family-owned uh, business, look after the boutique products, not the commercial product. So I take this his advice. Uh, later on, I was in Dubai and discussion some uh, business. Some serious gentleman asked me, do you know somebody in Romania selling uh, good quality of barley? He told me, you don't. I said, why? He told me, you don't know, in Romania they have the best quality of, good quality of barley. And we use it for, like, food for our horse, who's very mm-hmm. expensive, you know, in golf, they used to have expensive uh, horse. I parked the idea in my mind, you know, I parked it back. Later on, I think next 2004, if 2005, if I remember, gentleman from Scotland called me and asked me to take over of his business in Romania. They are not happy what they are doing. I thought I will do it, but there was one condition. I want to work just in the category of the single malt. Single malt, what? I said, look, I believe the single malt, it is the status of the category, of the whiskey, okay? You have many types of the whiskeys. You have blended, you have Canadian, you have American, you have any type of whiskey. But for me, the single malt category is the status of the category of the whiskey. He used to export to Romania 700 cases, and was all the market around 10,000 liters, nothing, of drink of single malt. So I end up in 2016, uh, they invite me in Scotland. They said, me, now it's time we will make you keep your face wet because you, you was right. At that time, uh, Romania became around to try to sell 100,000 cases of that 700 per year. They said, no, it's too much. Let's keep Romania around 40,000. That's the number, not more, because we don't have quantity. They have to serve all the world. So I said, okay. So they told me, you are right. It's status. You managed to, to create a country consumption of the single malt. And today, Romania is close to 1 million liters of single malt category. So now, if you've been kind of in charge of creating Romania's first single malt whiskey, I'm wondering, why did no one do it before you? This big question, you know. Even myself... When uh, 2016, after I became Kipre Quake, I said, now is the time to forward and to start to production of the single malt, okay? So uh, you are right because a lot of people in Romania, I live in Romania last four years, you know, in September I would be 40 years living in Romania. Ask me, uh, you are right, Romania need to have, it's must to have single malt. I said, guys, uh, the barley was there thousands of years. The Carpathian mountain is there. The water is there. The weather, everything is there. Personally, me, personally, usually I like to do the impossible possible. Alan, you are the master deal stealer over here. So I'm wondering, two questions actually at the same time. First of all, had you ever done anything like this before, gone to a country that didn't have history in whiskey like this to go and create something? And secondly, what does it actually take when you go to another country? You need great water. What else do you need? So the first question, after 20 years of the working in Scotland, I moved to Ireland set up a couple of distilleries there, Slane Distillery and the Great Northern in Dundalk for John Teeling. So that was really at the time when Irish whiskey was in its revival period. There wasn't many distillers, so you know, basically I took these skills and transferred them to Romania. 
So what do you need? You need good barley, you need good water, you need skilled people, and you put them all together and you have a consistently good product. So these are the key elements that make Carpathian what it is. Nawaf and Alan, did you have many discussions about what kind of a product you wanted to create, what the flavours would be and what the customer experience would be when people go and buy that bottle and taste it for the first time? What happened when we started 2017 production, one year later we bought a very nice and big around 300 hectares of vineyards, very famous. So we said, let's start to go and do finishing with, after wine. We started, Alan, let's see the wine, let's see the cognac, let's see that. We end up, you know, try both of us. We end up to have three, seven type of whiskey. And we said we will continue to reach the number 100. So collecting around the world, wine, cask from Chianti, Barolo, you know, from France, from Spain, from Greece, from Cyprus, uh, from everywhere, from Romania, especially from Romania. And we end up to be, that is our business, uh, doing very good tasting whiskey. Our whiskey tastes very nice. What is the definition of a good tasting whiskey in this case? Sweet, fruity. Exactly. Has to smell nice and then taste nice. So there's a different taste for everybody in the Carpathian range. But going back to your last question, what we have is very unique. We can take casks from the, the winery that have just been dumped. So they're very fresh. They're not treated with any sulfates or you know, even washed. And they're transferred to the distillery. And we transfer from bourbon casks to the finishing cask within a week. How much does the climate matter in this case? I'm wondering when you've been, you know, you've been working in Scotland, for example. Hmm. Was it different in Romania? Yeah, it's warmer. You know, it's, typically it's about five degrees average, higher temperatures. It's drier. It's less humid. So it accelerates the maturation process. And there's a better interaction with the wood because it's a higher temperature, basically. But the, the losses in maturation are higher. OK, the next question that we're also joined in the studio by Colin, who is the global brand ambassador. I don't know who is the best person to answer this question, but I'm wondering, when you've been thinking about how to introduce this product and, and how to tell about it to customers, what role does the origin play in this case? How important is it that it's Romanian? And do you want to explain that story that that is where it comes from? It's an important point you make, and I think our experiences so far telling the story behind the product has really helped people to sort of understand and to feel the passion that the Alexandron Group has in this. You know, it's one product in a in a wide range, a big portfolio. But I think that's important. And I think for people, and the interesting experience for us is that the classical sort of whiskey drinkers are really sort of enjoying it because they can see that Alan has maintained the traditions and respect of whiskey making, but this finishing seems to be this sort of special special part of it. And what it's doing is that people who have always wanted to drink whiskey but have even not even tried, because you know, like smoking a cigarette, so, oh, no, I'm going to cough, it's going to hurt my throat, it's going to hurt my nose, that even today at lunch we had a, a beautiful little old lady who, who took a drink for the first time and she said, I've never drank whiskey before and this is wonderful. So I think that is the key for us going forward is bringing a very, very high-quality product but bringing the story along with it. And that helps because it's unique. It's made in Romania, the first single malt whiskey ever to be made in that country. That story is so important for us, for people to appreciate when they drink it. And to finish off, I think everybody's expectation then is is reasonably high. The reality 
so far has always been much, much higher. So that's the approach and that's the way I think we can really enter the market and complement and respect the existing whiskey market at the same time. Exactly. And you are taking those steps now to enter new markets. And Mm. obviously, one thing people think about and one thing that is kind of a part of that brand is also the price, how much this bottle costs. So what kind of discussions did you have about that and how did you decide the price? The price, we have double-checked doing Fox Group in a few countries, US, UK, France and Romania. And they all of them, they was agreed to be between 70 to 100 euro, dollar or pound, you know. We end up to choice 80 euro shelf price with VAT included. That will be our price, 80 pound, 80 euro, 80 dollars. And as I mentioned, you are taking these steps to actually make these bottles more widely available. At the moment, it's easiest to get hold of them by going online. Exactly. But you also have plans to actually find partners from different countries. Yes, we are here already. We have partners, a very serious partner. Work with them many years back. But now it's time to where I'm going to open our operational. Not doing the distribution directly. We will continue to work with uh, a very uh, nice uh, company, already we know them, to sell them our goods. And we are look after uh, a very nice uh, and boutique liquor shops to put our products. Other way, we maybe will open uh, a liquor shops here, uh, like we have done in Brazil, in uh, Greece, in Romania, Cyprus. So it is possibilities uh, to have done. But we are going to have operational office and uh, people here in the uh, UK. What is happening with... Carpathian now in terms of product development, any other plans, anything new? We're developing, there's 37 different whiskies, 17 of which are finishes, but we have a range of casks, as now I've said, from all corners of Europe. We also have a peated whisky that's just came on, it's three years old, probably needs another couple of years maturation, but that'll appeal to people who like smoky peated whiskies like Laphroaig. We're expanding the distillery, so we're putting in new pot stills, which are a classic design, so that will improve the quality even further. But we've got new ideas coming constantly. Now, if you are the man who's been having these visions, for example, creating Romania's first single malt whisky, I'm wondering what kind of other plans do you have for the future, or other dreams even? What can we expect from you next? I'm afraid because my wife, she stayed too. <laughs> One day they will take me out from the house. Look, we have big plan to invest a big distillery, the largest number four, I think, in the U.S., New York, upstate of New York. Already a few years ago, we bought a big piece of land, a very nice area. So there we will build our distillery, doing uh, whiskey. We'll do the American types, single malt, and the rye whiskey of New York. But we will use the Irish method. Here in Romania, we use the Scottish method. There will be triple distillation. We are planning to build also a huge distillery also in north of Greece. And if you know the city named Kavala, close to uh, Saloniki, there we are going to build also a big distillery. So that is our plan. So going around the world and doing national and international products. Amazing. So not traditional, international. This is my concept in the life is I will go in each country with my respect, doing a national product to become international. So... Whiskey is Romanian, but it is an international product, okay? I'm not trying to tell guys stop to drink that uh, drinks and take this traditional product. So I am promoting national, international. My dream in each country to have home. To have home, that means to have immediately business, the trading company, liquor shops. And if 
makes sense to have the slurry, I will do it. This is my, my target and, and that we work. Amazing. Congratulations and, and good luck with Thank all you. that work. Thank you very much. And not to forget, we are looking also about in Scotland, with Alan looking after, because we have uh, four brands uh, from Scotland, uh, look to also to set up our distillery to be for our home, because Scotland is our home, so to have there also our distillery will look after how to see either to buy, either to build a new distillery also in Scotland. Do you think this could work the other way around, by the way, as well, considering that we are talking about something that comes from Romania now? So do you think there would be a chance for international players to actually go and launch more businesses in Romania now, considering that what Alan was saying earlier, that it was a great place to create something like this? You have the talent over there, you have the water over there, everything. Exactly what I said, Alan, before. It's perfect. People tell me I am the Christopher Columbus of discovering Romania is perfect country for doing whiskey. Mm-hmm. So it is not just, you know, okay, but because really was there thousands of years and nobody have the courage. I have it. I do it. And I will do in other countries, you know. It is perfect part of the world to do whiskey. Look today, if you look what happened with Japanese whiskey, become so rare, so rare, so expensive, you know. People ask me if you can help us, you know. Look what happened with the Taiwanese what happened with the Indian whiskey. So it is, you know, it is, the uh, world is open. And uh, the category of single malt, I see it like what happened with the gin category. If you remember a few years ago, was just London. Today is thousands of gin globally, thousands of gin. I think the single malt is coming, will be a global product. And big, big, big increasing. Last year, it was in consumption in US. First time happened, two million cases of single malt whiskey. Nawaf Salame, founder of Alexandrian Group, there with master distiller Alan Anderson and global brand ambassador Colin Levering. They are the men behind Romania's first single malt whiskey, Carpathian. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we're back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you're listening in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And obviously you will find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippip. Our studio engineer was David Stevens with editing assistance from Emily Sands. Once again, we finish this program with Edina Soundtrack recommendation. Here are All Saints with Black Coffee. Thanks for listening.